Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hi there, it's Alan Cross, and for the next few weeks of the Ongoing History of New Music podcast, we're going back to revisit a series we did a little while ago called 100 Weird Things About New Rock. This is a 10-part series, and it explored a lot of topics, with each episode dealing with a particular brand of weirdness. Sex, the law, drugs, strange recordings, excess, road stories, bad behavior, and more. There's a lot that goes into the music that we don't always hear about, despite what you may hear on the internet. So it's kind of like my job to fill you in. You ready for some weirdness? Okay, but don't say I didn't warn you. The standard musical diet of many people consists of three things. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. All three of these staples affect the same areas of the brain. Now, we've talked about this before, but here's a quick refresher in neuroscience. In your head, in your skull, you have the amygdala, the cerebellum, and the nucleus accumbens. They're involved in the process of creating and regulating dopamine, which is the hormone that makes you feel good. These regions analyze what's going on when you have an orgasm or take cocaine or listen to a great song. Dopamine is then released into the bloodstream, which is a signal to the rest of the body that says, Hey, this is good. Let's have more. Needless to say, dopamine is a pretty addictive hormone. Mix music and drugs, and you're heading down a pretty slippery slope. Things can get weird very quickly. But musicians taking drugs is often a very solitary and personal thing. Add a third element, sex, into the mix. Well, you might want to get the kids and grandma to do something else for the next hour, because this is 100 Weird Things About New Rock Part 8, and the topic is what happens when new rock and alternative music mixes with musicians and sex. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Welcome again. I'm Alan Cross, and we're up to part eight of 100 Weird Things About New Rock. And this time it's all about sex. Sex, sex, sex. Creepy, creepy sex. Well, let's start with Marilyn Manson. Hey, come on, where would you start? Manson has built a career on being extreme and strange. And if you've read his autobiography, The Long Hard Road Out of Hell, you'll know of some of the disgusting groupie stories. I can't even repeat them here. And Manson has done very little to stop people from enhancing the myths and legends surrounding his persona. One of the most enduring stories is the rumor that Manson had his lowest set of ribs removed... So he could, um, how do we put this, pleasure himself. And Manson being Manson, people believe this. Now, rib removal surgery does exist. Plastic surgeons sometimes perform it on women in conjunction with the tummy tuck. The floating ribs, numbers 11 and 10 for the anatomists in the crowd, do not extend all the way around the body to attach to the breastbone. Rib number 12 extends only to the back and sides. Rib number 11 comes a little bit further around, but it also can be removed. Taking them out results in a more hourglass shape. Even then, you have to begin with a short waist for it to work properly. Now, it is rumored that Cher had a few ribs out. People have said the same thing about Pamela Anderson and Kate Moss, Janet Jackson, and Britney Spears, although I think we can probably rule her out. Don't you think? But did Marilyn Manson have it done in order to facilitate certain uh, autoerotic pleasures? Well, the answer is a resounding no. 
But because Manson is so weird in the first place, it's understandable why people would believe this rumor. Weird sex item number two, Joey Ramone's interest in a special type of girl. When Joey died in April of 2001 at the age of 50, he was unmarried and had no kids. Well, no kids that we know of anyway. Now, before you ask, Joey did like girls. But he had his heart badly broken early in the Ramones' career when he lost his girlfriend, Linda, to his bandmate, Johnny Ramone. Johnny and Linda later got married and stayed together until Johnny died. Although Joey and Johnny were in the same band for more than a decade after this happened, they never once spoke again. But we'll look at that story a little bit more at another time. The thing we're talking about here is Joey's thing was girls from mental hospitals. For whatever reason, the rumor is that he dated a number of women with psychiatric issues who were in and out of institutions. He, for whatever reason, found these kinds of women to be interesting. He'd get drunk and then hang around the institutions because, as he said, the girls there were all loose. And he ended up falling in love with one girl who had weekly electroshock therapy. I have no idea what happened to that relationship. Joey Ramone, who for a time preferred dating girls with uh, mental issues, or so this weird sex rumor goes. Moving on to item number three, the day Red Hot Chili Peppers singer Anthony Kiedis lost his virginity to his father's girlfriend at age 12. See, Anthony was living with his drug-dealing bit-actor dad in Hollywood. Blackie, which was dad's name, always had a lot of really hot girlfriends that he'd bring back to the little house on Palm Avenue. One night, Anthony went with his dad to a club called the Rainbow Room. Yeah, dad took the kid clubbing. This is where Blackie's then-girlfriend, Kimberly, was dancing. Kimberly was 18, very hot redhead. So Anthony, who was hopped up in a quaalude, thanks to Dad, passed him a note that night. Hey, Dad, I know this is your girlfriend, but I'm pretty sure she's up for the task. So if it's okay with you, can we arrange a situation where I end up having sex with Kimberly tonight? Dad, so proud of his little boy, brokered the deal with Kimberly. They went back to the house where Dad set them up in a bedroom and went to watch TV. Meanwhile, Kimberly made a man out of Anthony at age 12. GG, my, my, my dad just took me to hockey practice. The Chili Peppers with singer Anthony Kiedis. If losing your virginity to your dad's girlfriend with dad's blessing at age 12 isn't a weird sex thing, I really don't know what is. Let's move to weird new rock sex story number four. Did David Bowie ever get it on with Mick Jagger? We need to examine this rumor. The first we ever heard of this was on May the 4th of 1990 on the Joan River Show. Anybody remember that TV program? That night, Joan's guest was Angela Bowie, David's ex-wife. They had been married from 1970 to 1980, which were the glory years of Bowie's career. After 10 years under a gag order... She was legally prevented from talking about the marriage for a decade. Angela was finally able to dish some dirt to Joan on national television. 
I caught him in bed with Mick Jagger, she said. And yes, they were naked. She didn't offer any more details, but since Bowie was a professed bisexual in the 1970s, people were free to assume what they might. Now, Mick Jagger immediately dismissed everything as rubbish. Then came an open letter from Bowie's lawyer that read, Any implication that there was ever a gay affair between Mick Jagger and David Bowie is an absolute fabrication. Within a week, Angie was um, qualifying her statements. Yeah, they were in bed naked, but it didn't mean that there was anything going on. On May 11th of 1990, she showed up on Geraldo. Remember that show? She wanted to set the record straight. Several months after that, the story became, they were passed out in my bed. In her 1993 autobiography, she confessed that when she discovered David and Mick, she assumed that they had been having sex. There's no proof, but in her heart of hearts, that's what she believed. This is further muddled by the fact that Angela may have had an affair with Mick while she was married to Bowie, hence the existence of the Rolling Stone song, Angie. Or was Angie really code for David? That was another rumor. Bottom line, believe what you want. Meanwhile, here's a live recording from 1972 featuring Bowie in his Ziggy Stardust years. On vocals with him is Mick Jagger, and on guitar, Keith Richards. David Bowie and Mick Jagger from 1972. Did they spend the night together? Yes. Were they naked? Apparently. Was it sexual? Who knows? Anyway, that's weird sex item number four. More weird sex stuff as we continue with 100 Weird Things About New Rock in just a sec. If we're going to have a program on weird sexual things, we cannot ignore Courtney Love. And for weird sex item number five, we need to talk about Kofi Asar. Kofi is a wannabe rapper who was on his way to buy some chicken nuggets at the Wendy's in New York's Union Square. It was March the 17th, 2004. St. Patrick's Day. When he got to the restaurant, he ran into a bunch of paparazzi surrounding Courtney Love, who was signing autographs and flashing people. She was on her way out, so Kofi held the door for her. As she was walking past, Kofi said, Hey, Courtney, how about one last flash? And Courtney, being Courtney, obliged, pulling open her sheer white blouse. No bra, either. And Kofi took the opportunity to give her right breast a big smooch. Got a big smile from Courtney, too. Naturally, the accumulated paparazzi were only too happy to take some pictures, and within seconds, Kofi was known worldwide as Courtney Love's public breast licker. It got Kofi some publicity for his aspiring rap career, and it once again cemented Courtney's reputation as being a wacko. Courtney Love and Hole with Miss World from the Live Through This album. And that goes along with her breast encounter with 23-year-old aspiring rapper Kofi Asar. Now, since we're on the topic of breasts, we might as well talk about the weird album artwork for Tori Amos's 1996 album, Boys for Pele. Part of the album artwork features what has become known as the pig shot. It's on the inside sleeve and shows Tori breastfeeding a piglet, an actual suckling pig, as it were. So, what's the point? Well, not anything sexual, certainly. It was supposed to symbolize some kind of Christian allegory, something to do with bringing the non-kosher back home. Anybody know what that means? Anyone? Anyway, you can 
understand why people were confused, shocked, and generally made to feel awkward by the whole big thing. Connor Light's knees from Tori Amos and her boys for a Pele album, the one with the infamous pig shot. That's weird sex item number six. You know, one thing that we haven't talked about yet are sex tapes that have gone astray. We've heard and seen Paris, Pam and Tommy, Pam and Brett. There was a Perry Farrell sex tape. But did you know about the one that featured Kid Rock and Scott Stapp of Creed? Yes, my friends, weird sex item number seven, the Kid Rock, Scott Stapp sex tape. This came to light in 2005 when a company called Red Light District, the same company who distributed the Paris Hilton tape, came into possession of some video footage featuring the kid, Scott, and four women. What, did you think that they were involved with each other? No, no, no. It's 45 minutes of Kid Rock and Scott being pleasured by a series of groupies during a tour back in 1999 somewhere in Florida. They're in a motorhome or a trailer or something. Red Light wouldn't say where they got the tape, but they were hoping to sell it. Naturally, there was a lawsuit and the tape was never released. Although, if you really need to see a sample, that's why God invented YouTube. Oh, and did I mention about six months later in June of 2000 that Scott Stapp became the first inductee into the Fatherhood Hall of Fame? Yeah, this is an online organization created by a group called womenforfatherhood.org. It's devoted to recognizing dedicated parents and strong role models. Uh Uh-huh. Meanwhile, Kid Rock and Scott Stapp have had a falling out. The kid called Stapp an idiot. Kid Rock, without his sex tape buddy Scott Stapp of Creed. That's weird new rock sex item number seven. Three more sexual oddities when we come back, including something called pendrogeny and another thing known as autoerotic asphyxiation. This is part eight of a series entitled 100 Weird Things About New Rock, and we're looking at 10 strange sexual things. Item number eight is a rumor that just won't go away, and Henry Rollins is absolutely sick of talking about it. If you enter Henry Rollins and gay into Google, you'll get more than 55,000 hits. A story that Hank is gay has been around for a couple of decades. Not that this would be a bad thing if he were, but he's not. And the whole thing is just, you know, tiresome. The question comes up in an interview at least a couple of times a year. It's not even annoying. It's just so funny to me because where that comes from, for somebody being gay is a bad thing, he said. To say he's gay, it's like a put down. So why does that rumor exist in the first place? Maybe it's because Henry is very quiet about his personal life. He's in his 40s. He's never been married. Maybe it's the macho appearance with all the tattoos and how he's always hitting the gym. Maybe it's because Hank has become an outspoken human rights activist, crusading for gay rights, including same-sex marriage. This is why he was chosen as the host for a benefit concert called Wedlock, which was designed to raise money for a pro-gay marriage organization. We can go back even further. When he was a teenager growing up in Washington, D.C., he had a job working at a movie theater that was known as a big gay hangout. Henry's boss was a well-known queen about town. Or maybe it has something to do with the images of shirtless guys slam-dancing with each other at hardcore gigs. Even the most hetero-hardcore guys will admit that that whole thing was a little homoerotic. But Henry is not gay. He says, Believe me, if I was gay, I wouldn't be hiding it. I'd want a date, man. 
The other rumor is that Henry was once in a relationship with actress Carrie Werher, who has been repeatedly voted as one of the sexiest women on the planet. But for whatever reason, they broke up. And Carrie maintains that Hank broke up with her via email. So believe what you will, but really don't. Androgyny is defined as a state of being both male and female, having both masculine and feminine characteristics, and having an ambiguous sexual identity. Now, androgyny is not new in rock. We've seen it dozens and dozens and dozens of times with individuals. But there is only one instance where androgyny is shared by a couple, which brings us to weird sex item number nine. One of the founding groups in the whole industrial sound of post-punk rock is a dude named Genesis P. Orridge. He formed a group called Throbbing Gristle in 1975, and they became known as performance art noise terrorists. In fact, their debut album, The Second Annual Report, inspired the term industrial music. Later, Genesis would form a group called Psychic TV, which still exists, still records, and still tours. But let's forget about that now. Genesis's life partner was Psychic TV's keyboard player, Lady J. These people were committed to each other, and I mean committed. Their relationship was constructed as an ongoing performance art project. The goal was to make them look more and more alike. They had matching wardrobes, matching haircuts, permanent eyeliner, lip injections, oral surgeries, cheek implants, and wait for it, matching breast implants which they got together on Valentine's Day of 2005. Their goal was to merge their identities into a single being, a single pendrogenous person, sharing the name Ms. Briar P. Orridge. It was a grand statement on the oneness of humanity, or that traditional sexual roles and notions of beauty were outdated and irrelevant, or something. And in case you're wondering, Genesis still has uh, his, his junk. Lady J had said that she would gladly have some junk attached, but this didn't fit in with her concept of oneness. Meanwhile, they kept working together on music. And here's what Psychic TV sounds like. This is from the early 80s. It's called God Star. Psychic TV, led by industrial pioneer Genesis P. Orridge, later to be joined by his partner, Lady J. Breyer. Sadly, though, this project came to an end with the sudden death of Lady J. on October the 9th of 2007. It was a previously undiagnosed heart condition that may have been connected to her longtime battle with stomach cancer. Finally, strange new rock sex story number 10. It involves the death of in excess singer Michael Hutchins. Now, when he was alive, Michael was a dog. He was always going out with some of the most beautiful women in the world. And November 22nd, 1997, started like any other day. NXS was back home in Sydney filming a TV special for Australian television. Everybody was pumped up for this documentary that was commemorating the 20th anniversary of NXS. And then afterwards, Michael went out for dinner with his father and his stepmother at a restaurant called The Flavor of India. He seemed fine. He was laughing. He was joking with everybody. But something wasn't quite right father who sent something asked if things were okay, but Michael said, nah, it's nothing. After dinner, this would be about 10.30, Michael went back to his suite, which was room 524 at the Ritz-Carlton Double Bay Hotel. On the way up in the elevator, he joked with three girls. 
Later, he called up Kim Wilson, an Australian soap opera star and ex-girlfriend who had been the inspiration for the NXS hit Suicide Blonde. She and her boyfriend came over to the hotel, where they banged back a bunch of daiquiris, champagne, and beer in the hotel bar before going back up to Michael's room. Hotel staff said that they left the bar around 2 in the morning. Kim and her boyfriend left the hotel around 4. And this is where the story begins to get murky. We know that Michael made a number of phone calls over the next few hours, including one to Michelle Bennett, another ex-girlfriend. We also know that no matter who we call, all he got were answering machines. Early in the morning and looking really rough, he went down to the front desk and asked the clerk to mail some letters he had written. And this was the last time anybody saw him alive. Depressed, drunk, and exhausted, Michael apparently went into a violent rage back in his room, scattering five different types of prescription pills all over the place, breaking his hand when he punched the wall, and throwing some furniture around, cutting up his face in the process. And then, sometime between 9.50 and 10.30 that morning, he took a leather belt, fastened it to a door, and managed to hang himself. Michael's body was found by a maid at around noon on Saturday. This would be November the 23rd, 1997. There was no suicide note. The most popular explanation was that it was a sex game gone wrong. Some people are into a kick called autoerotic asphyxiation, where they are strangled to the point of passing out while having sex. They maintain that this enhances sexual pleasure. Anywhere from 500 to 1,000 people die someplace on the planet every year from this game. Look it up if you like. And Michael did have a history of sexual kinks. Even his mother went on record as saying that Michael had been with a group of sadomasochists a few months earlier. A magazine published some posed bondage shots of Michael. And in one of his last ever interviews, Michael did speak of trying to achieve the ultimate sexual high. So slide over here and give me a moment. Your moves are so raw. I've got to let you know. I've got to let you know. The mysterious death of NXS singer Michael Hutchins, a death that the coroner says is consistent with autoerotic asphyxiation, a death by misadventure. That's strange new rock item number 10. On the next episode of 100 Weird Things About New Rock, we're going to talk about excess. If you're a successful performer, you literally have money to burn. In fact, that's one of the stories that we'll get to. People who actually burned money simply because they could. And we'll also talk about people whose hats receive better treatment than most humans. Join me next time for part nine of 100 Weird Things About New Rock, Tales of Money and Excess. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. (laughs) 